You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. Um, turning your Bibles to Romans 12 again, we're going to do, I mean, the, the intent is to do uh, part two of last week, because uh, yes, I did say last week at the, at the beginning that I was going to attempt to be brief, and I totally was not, and sometimes I get into story land and start telling stories, but I do feel uh, a pull and a tug of the Holy Spirit, so I'm not sure how, how strict we're going to be to what has been prepared. But I read through some studies last week. You know, we know that, uh, and it's not li limited to American culture. There is just cultural upheaval around the world. And some of this really is, it's a psychological phenomenon on the other side of COVID, on the other side of separ separation and segregation. You know, there was this, this pandemic of a disease, but there was a a coinciding pandemic of mental health that was largely ignored or you know mental health professionals were not ignoring it um, but media was yes. and for example the first year of COVID emergency department visits for suicidal ideation or suicide attempts between the ages of 18 and 30 uh, Karen correct me if I'm wrong I'm, I'm remembering is she in here Hershey teaching uh, was about up a thousand percent year over year. I don't, I don't remember the detail either, but I think it was a thousand percent. You know, the first year here, we did not have a single COVID case, but we did have a suicide attempt. We underestimate the need for connectivity. As a matter of fact, you know, one of my plans, you know, this summer was to do uh, a series that I've taught before, and it's a book that I'm not writing right now. I want to say that I'm writing it, but I'm not writing it. Because um, I don't really want to, but I, I will be writing a, a book called The Spirit of Belonging that talks about this because it's not only in Scripture, Romans 8.15, that he's given us a spirit of adoption, or you could say a spirit of belonging, that he's transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his light, and we're now in a royal household, which means that we're part of a royal family, a royal priesthood. We're designed to be connected. You know, the word says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together for a reason, because we're designed to be connected. And we, it's not just a, uh, an abstract spiritual concept. We can define this through even the chemistry of the brain. There, it, I mean, there, there's uh, solid science. You know, trust the science. Okay, uh, let's trust this science, that there is neuroscience that, that clearly defines how we are desi designed to be connected together. And yeah, I remember speaking to uh, a couple. He was a 30-year CEO. His wife was a, a, psych a psychiatrist. And, and they were talking about the, the studies on what the world would call collective consciousness. And, you know, and then we get scared and we say it's all, oh, it's this new age. Well, no, there is, there is something in humanity where, as a matter of fact, there was a, a study that came out or an article that came out, and I think it was in Popular Science about three weeks ago, that there are studies that are now defining and definitively 
concluding that we literally can be on the same wavelength that there's something about the neurochemistry of the brain that when we are in proximity with other people, we can literally be in the same wavelength. And you've all, you know, especially if you're married, you've experienced that where you start to complete each other's sentences, you, you have the same thoughts. I mean, I can't tell you how many times my wife and I would start singing the same song at the same time. Like, it's weird. It's weird. But there's truth to this. And scripture says the natural things speak of the invisible. And so sometimes because if we can describe something naturally and scientifically, we can be tempted to say, oh, well, then it's not God because God is supernatural. Well, he is supernatural, meaning that he's above and beyond all things, but he is the one that set place into place natural laws that dictate how things flow. And so just because we can figure out how something works doesn't mean that God didn't do it. And so, you know, he upholds all things by the word of his power. So even the chairs that you're sitting on is vibrating with the power of God. You know, down to the subatomic particles, these are all things that he set into order. And so on the other side of separation, we saw just massive amounts of this, this increase of the degradation of mental health. As a matter of fact, in the UK, after the first year of their lockdown, they had a one uh, over, I'll just say, I don't remember the number, I have it here somewhere, but I don't wanna scroll. I have a, a, over a million people on a waiting list to get critical mental health care. We're designed to be connected. And when we disconnect, I don't care, look, you, you guys know I'm introverted. I recharge by myself, but I'm still designed to be connected to all of you. And some people will say they're introverted and they're not really introverted, they're just wounded. I, I, and I, you know, I'll be honest, I go through my own like, self-examination process of like, well, am I really introverted or you know, did I just get wounded by people and so I just prefer not to, I don't know. But I, I, I do recharge by myself. Like sometimes when I'm in a lot of conversations and people are talking to me, like, you know, I get to this place where I, I almost get nauseous. Like I'm just, okay, I've got to go hide somewhere now. So you'll see me. Well, I don't want to give you my secret. So, so there, we have personality types, but in all of our personality types, we're still designed to be connected to each other. And so that's the beauty. As a matter of fact, you know, I was doing these kind of semi-secret medical roundtables with medical professionals and mental health professionals during that period of time. And it was the mental health professionals were the ones that told me, you need to open the church. Whoever shows up, because some people need this desperately right now, because they were seeing the issue. The APA, the American Psychiatric Association, was sending out these reports, you know, weekly of the devastating effects of lockdown on mental health. And so that's why the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of, of yourselves together. Not because, you know, we're trying to grow a mega church or, you know, I'm worried about offerings or this. Look, God takes care of all of that. I'm just telling you, you need to be connected. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. It doesn't mean it's going to be everybody that you like. How many people grew up in a family that never fought? You want real? My sister back there who's teaching the word to our kids right now, I kicked her in the face one time. 
because she was scary. <laughs> she was strong. She was a gymnast. And she went to college. She became a weightlifter. I didn't, it wasn't college that I kicked her in the face. But yeah, we were little, but she was a gymnast. She was way stronger than me. And she got that look in her eye and she was coming up the stairs and I knew I was in fear for my life. <laughs> Severe bodily harm. It was self-defense, I swear. <laughs> I still got grounded. I know, it's so unjust. I don't like injustice. But sometimes we have to learn how to function in the midst of injustice. Because we don't always have a right to be right, but we do have a right to the cross. When we receive communion, we're saying, oh, I'm going to take my right to the cross. What, what does that mean? That means I get to be nailed there with him. Sometimes we, we're so addicted to being right We become easily offended because what we're really saying is we need everyone else around us to fit into my paradigm of thinking. But when you lay down your paradigm of thinking and recognize that everything that I am, every, every part of me is crucified in Christ, but now we're also we're also resurrected with him and we are ascended with him. This is why Paul was speaking to the church of Ephesus and saying, you're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, obviously we're seated here right, right now, but in some dimension, there is a piece of us that is in him. And it's not just for a party, it's for strategic perspective on what's happening on earth. This is what I call the eternal mindset. Having the eternal mindset in times of difficulty so that when you face these momentary afflictions, and let me tell you that every affliction we face is momentary in the scope of eternity. So when you have an eternal mindset in the way that we navigate life, the things that come against us seem so much less significant because our thoughts are with him. This is part of what scripture is trying to teach us when it, when it says set our affections on things above. It's, it's not just, oh, I'm yearning for heaven. It's understanding that there's a dimension, there's a piece of us that in a dimension is seated with him in eternity so that the things that happen in our temporal existence don't have the deep effect that one might think. And now you become this, this city on a hill that cannot be hidden and people will come to you and say, you know, what's wrong with you? <clears throat> Why do you look so different? Hey, Greg, could you get me some water, please? <clears throat> Why do you look so different? How do you, why, why, you know, how many people have experienced that? I remember working at a gas station. I told you my gas station stories. The people would drive across town, even from other towns, to come to the gas station that I worked at to pay more money to have their gas pumped because, and they would say to me, what is wrong with you? And I didn't have my life together, guys. Let's be real. I was in a transition point because I had rebelled for a couple years. I had discovered alcohol. I always tell people I majored in vodka in college, which is why I dropped out. Like, I didn't have things together, but I had been touched by glory. And his power is perfected in my weakness. And I began to recognize that, you know, as I'm... <laughs> You know, in the inside the gas station, I'm, I'm smoking my Marlboro Reds and then somebody pulls in and I go out and I've been up since five in the morning and I'm already not a morning person. And I go out there, thank you. And someone comes in and they've never been touched by glory on my darkest day. What I feel like is a dim light is like a spotlight for them. And I'm not saying that, look, I, 
because I want you to understand that I'm really not that cool. I've just been touched by glory. I, I was a kid who at you know, age four accepted Jesus into my heart every day, just, just in case. Every night, you know, I'd do the nightly prayers. My dad would come and read me the story. I would always want, want to have him read Samson because we had that old children's storybook. And it had like the old school like illustration and Samson's eyes were poked out. So I just liked the picture. I didn't really have an affinity with the story. I just liked that picture. You know, I, I was drawn to that. And then we would do our prayers and I would start with, dear Jesus, please come into my heart. I think we were part of like a free will Baptist church, you know, so the assurance of salvation wasn't necessarily a thing. And I read all the Chick Tracks, you know. How many people remember Chick Tracks? It's like a few of you. Like, they're scary. Yes, they are. I felt like you could step into salvation or, you know, and then go to hell the next day. I mean, if you screw up, what happens if you sin and you don't repent before you die? I don't know. Look, the cross is enough. It says grace is sufficient for you as mercies are new every morning. So I can trust that now. But hey, but I, when you pray a prayer, God will cash in on that prayer in the days to come. There have been seasons of my life where I felt like I was living off the crazy prayers that I prayed in my 20s, like what I prayed during communion. God, do whatever it takes of me to bring me where you want me to be. It's easy to pray a prayer like that when you don't have anything. You know, I lived in basically a closet in a house that I rented. Not the house, I rented the closet. Just to be clear. Had a little car, a weird little car. So it's easy to do that. This is why the word says it's, it's, more, it's difficult for a rich man. It's, it's easier to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Why? Because it's harder to live a crucified lifestyle when you have more things to be crucified. This is why offerings are so important because we have to learn how to, to release authority of that which is in our hands. And if you struggle with someone talking about finances in church, let me just be real. I say this with all, all compassion because I used to be that guy. You probably don't have your finances fully submitted to God. Because if you have, if, you're, if all of your parts and your members are submitted to God, then you take no offense because you recognize it's his. Part two of that is, what does an orphan do? An orphan hangs on to what they possess because they're afraid if they release it, they're not, they're not sure when their hand is ever gonna be filled again. When you get relieved, relieved and released from that orphan mentality, which, you know, I think there could be an orphan spirit, a demonic, uh, you know, this a demonic entity that sort of feeds that. But most of the time, I think it's a stronghold that we need, to, we need to dismantle brick by brick. So when Paul's teaching about strongholds, you know, I grew up learning about strongholds thinking that it was a demonic thing that needed to be cast out. You don't cast out strongholds, you dismantle them. What is a stronghold? It's a system of logic that is built upon lies that we believe to be true. And so it, we, we, everything that, you know, our behaviors are, they flow through the process of the strongholds that have been erected in our thought life. This is why the word says, let the meditations of my heart be pleasing. It's not just the actions. It's not just the things that come out of our mouth. Although out of the abundance of your 
heart your mouth will speak, but when the, even the meditations of your heart are pleasing to him, then you understand that you have dismantled these strongholds that are built upon lies that we believe to be true. And that's, to me, it, it, this sort of orphan mentality fits that, that paradigm. We don't understand that we have a good, good father, and so we're afraid to give, we're afraid to release, we're afraid to be radically generous. And I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about how we function when we go to a restaurant or we, you know, we go to a coffee shop or, you know, how do you tip? How do you release? And, and sometimes I struggle. Sometimes like, because I'm like frustrated, maybe the service didn't meet my standard. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to tip 15% instead of 18% or 18% or instead of 20% or, you know, usually I don't think in percentages. I'm like, well, I'm just going to withhold those $2. I, you know, I've become addicted to DoorDash a little bit. I blame Streams Ministries. They gave me a $100 DoorDash card a year ago when I had surgery on my spine. And I was like, this is really convenient. I mean, I, I confess to you, I have DoorDash from restaurants that I could walk to. I mean... <laughs> But sometimes that walk seems real. Look, and I don't even ever walk there. We drive. We're going to drive the eighth of a mile to go to Winzuko. And we could walk there. Anyway. And so I think about that sometimes when we door dash. And I'm like, and they give you all the percentages and this and that. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to do that. And I'm like, no, I'm going to go above and beyond. Because that's what he did for me. And I understand that generosity isn't just about the offering. Generosity is a lifestyle. And as I release authority of that which is my hands, he gets the glory. It doesn't matter to me what happens out there. It doesn't matter to me what happens on the back end. I'm not worried about how the money gets used when I tip someone or, you know, I give it to someone. Sometimes I just hand out cash. Like, I'm not worried about that. I understand that God honors the, honors the act of generosity because as the song says, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. I'm free. I've been adopted into a royal family. I have that spirit of belonging. And so on the other side of this, we have to be kingdom people. We have, to, we have to recognize that our behaviors were fashioned, our behaviors were shifted over the course of a two-year period and be willing, it's what I call honest self-assessment. It's not self-condemnation, but it's willing, being willing to honestly self-assess where you are on the other side of this two-year thing where every nation on the earth was shaken family systems were shaken. And understand that you're not too big to have not been impacted by that. And so there's this, this, this um, discontent across every sphere of society and culture across the world. People are unhappy where they are, and so they, they want to go somewhere else. You know, people are changing jobs. People are changing churches. You know, pastors are stepping down and going elsewhere. They're, they decide they don't want to be in the ministry anymore. Or this, all of these things. And some of the prophets have began to release words and saying, well, God is realigning people. And I'm not sure that that's exactly what's happening. I'm not saying, I know you guys are. I'm saying this 
Jeff and Missy are moving. Missy! Missy! Why are you leaving me? We lived with them for nine months, so what an adventure that was. I got Missy in the front row, Jeff in the back row. What's wrong with you guys? <clears throat> I still remember. See, now I can just lay into you, Jeff. I'll be telling stories now like more than ever. Jeff's like, hey, I'm going to have a piece of watermelon. He cuts the, wa- the watermelon in half, just eats the whole thing. And he says, I'm going to have another piece of watermelon. But that didn't wig me out so much. I was like, I get that. You know, even Riley was young back then. He could have almost packed it in. Then he says, I want a piece of cauliflower. Pulls out the whole head. Next time I look over, that thing was gone. I mean, he had a big piece of cauliflower. My colon just wants to do a dance thinking about that. Just be glad you weren't here 10 years ago. Bodily functions were just discussed in every message. I'm older and I've matured and we live stream. When we started live streaming, I got a little more serious about the things that I said. I quit threatening to tase people, all that kind of stuff. But here's what I want to say about that. I'm not sure that everything that we're seeing, I I feel like sometimes the temptation of a prophet or the difficulty of, of a prophet is to read the soul of a matter rather than to hear the voice of God on a matter. And, and when we read the soul of a matter, we start speaking to a condition that it is instead of speaking to what Jesus is saying from the throne. And so I want to bring sort of that apostolic per- perspective. And some of my very good friends have been prophesying this. And God is always about alignment, but a lot of what I'm seeing is sort of this discontent because it's happening in every sphere of society. It's not just the church. It's, in, it, it's everywhere. I've been talking to executives. I've been talking to wealth managers. I've been talking to politicians. And they're all across the board. People are saying, people are crazy right now. We, we sort of were so focused on some things in the midst of lockdowns that now that we have the space, our minds are reaping the repercussions of that and we don't have an understanding of what's even happening in our own mind. The rule still stands that we need to take captive every thought and make it obedient to the voice of Christ. And so as you're seeing and sensing and feeling, even as a prophetic people, press beyond the sensing and get to the voice of the matter. I don't want to reverberate the voice of the spirit of this age. I want to speak the voice of God. And so don't underestimate the difficulty that humanity has on the back end of this level of separation. So what do we do when we're in the midst of difficulty and sometimes the most difficult piece of difficulty is on the other side of it? And we have ministry teams that help with that. We have, uh, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm all in a ministry teams and inner healing and bringing Jesus to memory. Sometimes I... I joke about it, but I'm also all in on classical therapies as well. 
talking people through the process and, and understanding why we behave the way that we behave and being given tools in our tool belt to respond in situations in a more healthy manner than what we did before. Be mindful of that. But what do we do in the midst of difficulty or on the other side of it? Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope. Persevere in tribulation. Be devoted to prayer. Rejoice in hope, not just when you feel like it. See, a lot of times we... we we think rejoicing is just something that we do when we're happy. No, rejoicing is actually a spiritual discipline. Entering his gates with thanksgiving in our heart is a spiritual discipline. As a matter of fact, some segments of the world are getting this better than the church. The discipline of gratitude. You know, life coaches, executive coaches, motivational speakers are training people how to be successful. How do you be successful? The biggest obstacle to success in life is right here. I've talked to some of these guys and the process that they had to go through to train their brain. So number one, that they can actually believe that they could be successful. And so they have disciplined themselves in their thought life so that as they emerge from their homes in the morning, they are carrying with themselves an atmosphere of success. How much more the kingdom of God we need to discipline ourselves to rejoice and hope. It's not a response, it's a discipline. And sometimes, yeah, it gets to be a response. We get to rejoice because we're just, we're so overjoyed at the presence of God. We're so enraptured in his presence. A lot of times when we come into worship, it's a discipline to release a sound. It's a discipline to sing a song together. And look, I challenge you to come in every Sunday morning, every gathering that we do, Ken Fish Weekend, we'll be doing worship, to come in and actually sing the songs that are on the screen. And if you don't know the song, just say the words out loud in a monotone thing, joyfully. Whatever it takes. Some of you sing that way anyway, but that's okay. Make a joyful noise. And watch what happens. Your Flesh and your soul will begin to catch up with where your spirit is already conditionally. We get so wrapped up in our soul and we think it's a spirit thing. We, we start walking by our mind, will, and emotions instead of walking by wisdom, communion, and conscience. We are called to walk by spirit. We are called to walk by faith and not by the conditions of things that we see around us. And we all do. I, there's been, I, I can point to countless times where I was not walking by faith, I was walking by what I saw. But if you do these three things, rejoice in hope, persevere in tribulation, and be devoted in prayer, you will live a transformed life even in the midst of suffering and difficulty. Memorize it. Speak it every day. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, I will rejoice in hope. I will persevere in tribulation. I will be devoted to prayer. It's not hypocrisy. It's training your brain to function 
the way that your spirit is designed to function. And then your flesh and your soul come under the dominion of your spirit, and now you're leading with spirit, and your flesh and your soul are just along for the ride. And that's how we live a victorious lifestyle. This is how the apostles were able to worship at midnight when they were in, in chains in prison, after they had been beaten with no earthly expectation that they were going to be released. What do you do when you're in a situation like that? Hey, let's have a praise party. You can read the story in the book of Acts and the ground shakes and the, the prison doors open, the chains fall off. And then what do they do? Look, I, I probably... I'd like to say that I would, I would be like them and just hang out, but I would probably book it. But likely by revelation, they realized that this, the jailer was about to fall on his own sword because the jailer knew if these guys all leave, then I'm going to be in serious trouble. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be put to death, and this form of death is going to be more comfortable than the death that they're going to put me through, so I'm just going to fall on my own sword. Because you gotta, look, there were no lights it's dark. A massive earthquake and prison doors open. And so they call out and say, hey, we're still here. We're still hanging out. And so something, they saw a purpose that was greater than their momentary freedom. They released salvation in that moment. The jailer was saved. His family was saved. They get baptized. And now, I, you know, I, I, I wish we could have the lineage the lineage of a family that encountered Jesus in a prison through the prisoners. Gener you want to talk about generational wealth? I'm talking about generations, generational spiritual wealth. Because a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about kingdom. It applies to both. But when I stand on the ground of New England, I'm looking at the children's children and this culture of revival that we want to establish here in a land that the rest of the country calls the frozen chosen. We ain't the frozen chosen. I don't care what anybody says. There's fire in New England. There's glory in New England. We know who family is here. We don't have cultural Christianity. And my southern friends are like, yeah, well, I go to the mall and they're playing Christian music. Oh, that's great. You know, you can go try to minister to people, the homeless in Dallas, they know more scripture than you do. But here people are open, they're hungry. The light in you is so bright in the darkness. Man, this is where you want to be. I'm telling you, this is where you want to be. This is where the fire is. And we can recognize that even the days of revival in the, in the 90s, there was revival happening in pockets all across New England. And, you know, we didn't have social media. Information wasn't available the way that it is today. But, you know, toward the tail end of that, I remember getting together with Brian Cooney, who was down to New Life Worship Center. And I met uh, Mike Smith, who was at Gateway. There was a guy up in Bedford. And we realized that all of our sound was this, kind of the same. And it was aggressive. I mean, I appreciate Bethel. I appreciate that some of their spontaneous moments are great. But California, you know, they're laid back over there. Matter of fact, I started chastising some of their worship leaders because I'm like, look, guys, culture is running away with you. It's like, you need to get aggressive in worship. Like, you need to call, start calling things that are not as though they are. You need to start saying, kingdom come, your will be done. And, I, you know, not just, well, let's worship in our own words. Let's stop emulating what God did somewhere else and find the sound that's in the ground beneath your feet and releasing that. 
Stop worrying about if other people are going to do my worship songs, if, it's gonna, if I'm going to be a pot. Like, let's forget about some of that stuff and just start bringing the fire of his throne and releasing those thunders and those lightnings in the land so that we start preparing an atmosphere where the world will actually come to know him. Rejoice in hope, persevere in tribulation, be devoted to prayer. Perseverance can be a lost art if you lose it. It's not easy to persevere. It's not really a gift of the spirit. It's an issue of character. And again, I'm asking you even on a daily basis to, to step into this thing called honest self-assessment. Just honestly assess yourself before God. And remember that Romans 8.1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not about condemnation. It's about transformation. Because perseverance builds proven character. And honestly, one of the biggest challenges that we face in humanity is not just how we persevere in the midst of trial, but how do we function in times of peace and prosperity? When there isn't conflict, when there's an ease in life, are we still persevering? Are we still walking with proven character? Are we still entering his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts? Are we still coming into his courts with praise as not just as a response, but as a discipline. Because even if you're cranky, even if you don't feel like it, you're not in the mood, doesn't really matter. He's still worthy of it all. I can't tell you how many times I just had to say, God, you're worth, I'm doing this because you're worthy. I feel like junk inside. I'm a mess. I'm tired. I got a headache. I'm whatever I am, but you are worthy of it all. It's the discipline of engaging with God. Prayer, worship, the word, both individually in your everyday lives, but corporately as we gather together. So how do we practically live out these words in our everyday lives? I've kind of already said it. But write this down. Cultivate a heart of gratitude. If you can't find something to be grateful for, send me an email. I'll find some things. And you can declare that. I love crafted prayers. I love crafted declarations. When I mentor young guys, I'm mentoring a bunch of young guys in business and consulting for some businesses um, in a kingdom context. There's so many business owners that want to figure out how do I do kingdom in the marketplace? It's not that hard. It's really not. It's not that difficult. It's just a different way of thinking. And I talk to them about speaking the truth of God's word over your life so that your, the condition of your life and your heart catches up to what the work of Christ in your spirit. Cultivate a heart of gratitude. Gratitude transforms our perspective. Look, the world already knows this. Like we, I feel like we should be on the leading, end of the, uh, leading edge of this. The world already understands that if we cultivate gratitude and we begin to speak things out loud, 
that our thought patterns, our brain will start to come into agreement with the things that we say. Because the reality is your brain will come into agreement with what you say, whether you say it intentionally or not. This is why the word says, behold, I put before you life and death. The power of life and death are in the tongue. Choose life, choose good, cultivate gratitude. Find some prayers that, like, you know, what we call the apostolic prayers, the prayers that Paul prays over the churches in his letters, and begin to speak those over yourself. The prophetic words, even in scripture, arise and shine, Paul, for your light has come, Paul. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you, Paul, David. Nations will be drawn to the brightness of your being. I'm just speaking the word over myself and coming into agreement. I pray, oh Paul, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Literally, that word enlightened is set ablaze in the Greek. There's this relationship between fire and revelation. Cultivate that heart of gratitude. Rejoice! Rejoice! People tell me all this stuff all the time, and you know, usually I'm, I'm gracious, sometimes I'm not, depends on the level of our relationship. But there are so many excuse breakers in scripture. I don't care if you're three years old, I don't care if you're 93 years old, I don't care you know, what happened in your life. Cultivate gratitude, rejoice. Number two, write this down. I twinge sometimes when I think of this because, you know, I am introverted, but it's not an excuse. God is, look, God is not overly interested in your personality type. He's interested in his will being done. Reach out to others. Write it down. Reach out to others. What do you do when you're in tribulation, when you're in difficulty, when you're cranky? The best time to reach out to others is when you really, really don't feel like it. I hate that I just said that. But in times of tribulation, don't isolate yourselves as much as you want to be. Reach out to those around you. Why? Because God might actually be glorified in the midst of your difficulty as you reach out to someone else. And they may actually be blessed by being a blessing to you. And then in turn, you may end up being a blessing to them. The craziest times where God has used me to bless others is when I've been in a really bad mood. Even back in, you know, as I was leading worship all the time, writing songs all the time, some of the best songs that I wrote were when I was in a really bad mood. And then God decides to encounter me. And I'm like, really? Right now? That's what you want to do? Okay. Galatians 6.2 urges us to bear one another's burdens, fulfilling the law of Christ. There's a couple examples in Scripture that says, bear with one another. If you don't like what someone else is saying or doing or what they're involved in, you think that's demonic or you think that's this or that, that's that. Number one, this is what Scripture says, to the pure, all things are pure. Wrap your brain around that. Also says all things are beneficial, but not all things are permissible. I mean, whoop, let me reverse that. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Yes. <laughs> Wrap your brain around that. And then if you still think someone else is doing something really wrong, 
Then it says, bear with those who are of lesser faith. If you do that, you're never going to be offended by what someone else is doing. I'm just telling you, it's in the word. You can fight me on it, but I'm a fighter. Galatians 6, 2 urges us to bear one another's burdens. Debbie's better than that than I am. I don't want to bear anybody's burdens. I got my own burdens. Not really. Well, it's not that bad. But I'm melancholy. It's that artistic tendency in me. Yeah, Mary knows what I'm talking about. We both get cranky. We can be honest with each other. I'll ask Mary how she's doing. She's honest. She asks me how I'm doing. I'm honest. But sometimes in our honesty, we step outside of the word of God. And we quit rejoicing in tribulation. I hate that I just said that. I enjoy my crankiness. I'm really good at it. One of the best things I'm good at is being cranky. Number three, all you introverts, embrace community. Look, I'm not really a camper. Ken, like you know, I'm not really a camper. I, I can pretend like I'm a manly man and I can chop things and burn things. And Nobody let me touch an axe or a knife this weekend. They know better. I mean, they had a five-year-old like with an axe. Like, but I embrace community. I embrace you guys. I'm, I'm looking forward to International Day. It's going to be great. Mostly because Natalie's running it. If I was running it, I don't know. I'd probably just order Chinese food. There we go. We'll fly the flag and call it a day. And some crab rangoons. I eat all the Chinese food that they don't actually eat in China. Come on, Helen. You know what I'm talking about. You don't even eat meat. <laughs> She's not vegetarian. She just doesn't like the process of meat. You know? Come on, everybody wave at Helen right now. Let's just embarrass her. I'm just doing that because you were shaking your head at me. I will make you pay. Embrace community. We are not designed to walk this journey alone. That's why we have ministry teams. That's why we pray for one another. I don't put people up here on a ministry team because they're better than you. It's because we're family and every joint supplies. Sure, we train, we develop, we want people to be transformed from one level of glory to another level of glory. I'm not up here because like, I'm awesome. I'm here because I was touched by glory. And your joint supplies mine as much as mine supplies yours. That's how kingdom works. We are designed to be connected. We are designed to walk this thing out together. And so as much as you want to isolate yourselves in times of difficulty, that is the time that you need to be connected. We rejoice in hope. We persevere in tribulation. And we devote ourselves to prayer. And it's your individual prayer life, but it's also your corporate prayer life. We do it in our own space, and then when we gather together, prayer rooms open every week. Sure, they throw down, they get loud, they get strategic, it's great. But that's what we're designed to do.
and you're not designed to go this alone. There are no covert secret agents in the kingdom that are out floating like free radicals in the body. It just doesn't work that way. It never has, and it really never will. We are one body with Jesus at the head. And some people will say, oh, I'm the, you know, I don't need to go to church. I am the church. No, you're not. We are the church, collectively. We can get caught up in semantics and look, you know, everything that we think is new and fresh cycles through about every five years. Been doing this long enough. Every movement or, you know, when I step into a meeting and I hear somebody say, we're doing something that's never been done before, I already know that that thing is going to fall. Because it's all been done before. It really has. What we're doing, it's not rocket science. This has all been done before. But we're fostering a family and a culture that we can hand down to the children's children. Are you willing to sow your life into something that you may never see the fruit of? I am, but I also believe that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let's stand together. I want to call the ministry teams up pronto. I actually feel like there's a prophetic flow in the room right now. And so if you've never had a prophetic word, in a moment, I want to invite you up and we want to just speak over your life. But I'll say it again. Rejoice in hope. Persevere in tribulation. Be devoted to prayer. Let us be living testimonies of God's love, grace, and hope for humanity. That's the series that we're in. It's hope for humanity. That hope, it's through you. And if you feel hopeless today, hope is here. And we all go through that. I mean, you could be walking this life for 40 years and you can still be hopeless at times, but it's here. And that's the time to humble yourself and connect your hands with someone else and allow them to bear your burden. There are burden bearers all over this room. Together as one body in Christ, we will be a force for hope in this region. We are a force of hope in this nation. And the language, the attitude, the filters of our speech flow from a place of being seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I don't war, I don't lower my standards of war to the standard of the voice of the spirit of this age. But I war from a higher place. space of Jesus, Yeshua, the anointed one, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the one through whom, by whom, to whom are all things, the one who upholds all things by the word of his power, the one who is the radiance of his being, the exact representation 
of the nature of the Father. And Jesus said, it's better if I go because I'm going to send the comforter to you, the counselor, the spirit who is holy. We baptize the water, but he will baptize you in fire. Some of you need a baptism of fire today to be fully saturated in the ways of the Spirit. Have gifts activated in you, through you. Things that were put in you even in the womb. You don't even know how gifted you are, but it's time to wake up. The fire will do that. If you're here, you're online, you've known about Jesus, you've known about Christianity, but you've never really said yes. This is that time. Allow him to really regenerate you, remake you by the power of his cross, the power of his blood that was shed, his body that was broken. One sacrifice for all time. So that he could say to you, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been into, as far as horizon is from horizon, I cast your sin from you. The slate is clean. Now be free from a life of sin. Not because you modified your behavior, but because you said yes to this Jesus whose righteousness overcomes your lack in every way. So we're gonna pray this prayer together. And I'm asking you to do business with God today, to be transformed and step into newness of life. So pray after me. God, I want to know you. I accept your gift of life to me. I accept Jesus' death and his resurrection from death that reversed the curse of sin and death in my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I turn from my way and I turn toward your way. Would you reconnect me to my identity and my destiny through your gift of life? And please reveal your love to me now. And I will follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for hearing me and honoring my request. In Jesus' name. If you have the courage right now, just lift your hands before him. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidry is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.